One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The IRA's aim was to unite Ireland. So, it might seem unbelievable to many today, but the organisation did its utmost to try and stop cross-border railway services. Last night, a bomb exploded about a mile and a half north of Lurgan. This 14th attack in four months came just hours after normal cross-border services had resumed for the first time in 10 days. They almost succeeded. But an organisation was established to defy that aim. It was called the Peace Train. From 1989 to 1995, it organised special train trips between Belfast and Dublin to keep the line open and to make the case for peace. There is no question that the Peace Train is part of the raft of those groups that comes along in the 90s, which apply pressure to the paramilitaries to disengage from violence. Who were the people behind the peace train movement and did it succeed? And why did the IRA try to bomb the train lines out of existence? Dr Connell Parr is an assistant professor of history at Northumbria University in Newcastle. He joins me to tell the story of the peace train and its impact. Dr. Parr, you're very welcome to the Bell Tale. And the obvious question to begin with, what was the peace train? Yes, so uh, the peace train was uh, a very interesting campaign that originated in the late 1980s and went to the mid-1990s, which was essentially a, a kind of civil society group that um, that a, a peace activism group in lots of ways that uh, basically enacted a campaign to protest against the the bombing of the uh, the Belfast to Dublin Dublin to Belfast railway line which was quite a common feature not just in that era but also in the in the troubles era and again I have some some memory of this that 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 the sort of disruption on that line that that it's it's quite difficult for people to imagine this now because it's it, this doesn't happen anymore and because if anything it's quite ironic that the group who was behind the bombing of that line now they know there's such a big link between talk of irish unity and connectivity 
between uh, North and South, that it was it was uh, what many people saw as very counterproductive thing to to bomb the the one proper link between uh, Belfast and Dublin that united North and South. So it was an interesting uh, interesting campaign group which um, brought together individuals and political parties from across the political spectrum. Literally, almost every Irish party, North and South was involved uh, in terms of the mainstream parties of the time. So you had um, members of uh, the Alliance Alliance Party, the SDLP, uh, the Ulster Unionists, the Workers' Party, Greens, um, uh, Fine Gael, Fianna Foyle, Irish Labour. They were all represented in this in the peace train as, as a group. And they essentially uh, did a number of... What they did was they hired out a number of trains. They hired seven trains in total um, and, and and what they would do is there would be these kind of uh, social events on those trains where and they, they pretty much occurred each year of that time frame where they would and people would, would uh, go on the trains and go from from Dublin to Belfast or, or Belfast to Dublin. And and it was a sense of we will we will we will continue this method of transport despite the attempts to disrupt and to hamper it. So. There's so much coming from what you've said because we, we've had a great overview there. You are a, a history professor. What is it that interested yourself about this peace train? To be honest with you, Kieran, I I suppose I dismissed this this group. I did have awareness of them, um, and I thought that they were part of that kind of kumbaya. Um, uh, lovey-dovey peacemakers and that that there was a very hard-headed view as a historian of the conflict in Northern Ireland and of Northern Ireland and and modern Ireland that I had this view that really peacemaking is when the protagonists engage. So you have to have the militants involved in that process. So I I was starting at the, the position that this is a bit of a joke in some ways, perhaps a bit of a jolly for people. I didn't take it that seriously. I didn't think it was um, a, a, a kind of considerable movement at all. And it was only when I, I I sort of dug into it a bit more that I came to the conclusion that actually there's something here which is very fascinating, which is very interesting. And I also had this view that that, that actually this did have an effect. I think that was really why I wanted to dig a little bit more into it in the sense of we thought that there was there was there was actually pressure which the peace train organization as a as a group put on uh, the paramilitaries. There was, there were broadly anti-paramilitary. You know, they did also um, associated groups around the peace train did try and picket the uh, quite quite courageously in certain ways. The the UDA headquarters at the time on the Newtonards Road, but 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 the main focus was the the provisional IRA's bombing of the the train line. I remember the peace train. You know, you may have memories of the peace train. But so many of the people listening to this podcast will not have memories of the peace train. So I, I would like to break it down a little more. Who exactly set up this this group and and came up with this idea? Who who exactly are we talking yes. about? So this is one of the things we've uncovered, which is where the idea came from, and the idea originates in North Dublin, uh, in the uh, initially with the um, the Workers Party. TD and leader, Pranjus de Rossa, aided by a man called Sean O'Keeana, 
who was a a, um, a very interesting um, Workers' Party strategist. But at the time, De Rossa was was a kind of left wing. TD representative of No to Ireland. And the thing that De Rossa originates the idea. So it comes from him and it comes from it comes from that part of Dublin because it comes between those two figures I've mentioned. And what they the reason why it comes about is that they see it as a kind of broad-based movement for the Workers' Party. It was always tarred in the minds of some people as being a workers' party, a sticky um front was the criticism that was made now that that's actually factually not true but but there it is true that they were they were very prominent within it and it comes from de rossa and it comes from that party in lots of ways and it was the sense of which um that they wanted a broad-based movement which would firstly put pressure on the provisional ira who were their opponents politically but also were were was something which they could um, build a level of support as a campaign, which went across all aspects of Irish political life. I think I, I I would like to return to the Workers' Party in my next question because, as you said, they were very prominent in the peace train um, group. But I am aware of people who are listening to this, and the question that they've had from the very beginning of the podcast was why were the IRA bombing the train line which connects Belfast and Dublin? What was the rationale behind that? Security forces carry out an aerial survey of the railway line outside Lurgan in County Armagh to check for booby traps before experts can move in to investigate the latest bomb alert which has closed the line between Moira and Lurgan, disrupting not only cross-border passenger and freight services but local branch line trains as well. Last night, a bomb exploded about a mile and a half north of Lurgan, and the IRA warned there were two devices there. Yeah, it's, 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 it, Kieran, it's a key question, this. It's clear that part of what the Provisional IRA's campaign was always doing was undermining Northern Ireland to the extent that people get the sense of it as a total backwater, right? So um, there's this sense in which if you if you cause all this disruption and the bombing is not just on the train line, it's everywhere, that you create a situation where Northern Ireland is um, just sort of bankrupt as a place. Not, I don't mean bankrupt economically even, I mean it as this is such a backwater, you cannot literally get to it. And the, the evidence that we've kind of uncovered was that, that the train line was very close to being shut permanently. The IRA's continued attacks are estimated to have cost Northern Ireland Railways and Eden Rothaden about a million pounds. Repeated fears have been expressed that about 400 rail jobs could be at risk, though both the Irish and British governments have pledged to do everything possible to keep the trains running. Now, they were quite close. They suggested um, towards the end of the 1980s that they were something like three weeks away from completely shutting that train line. Right. And the again, as I say, that creates a situation where um, Belfast, Northern Ireland is is a kind of no go area and somewhere where uh, companies don't invest and where more importantly than that, even it's just some place which is so, so off limits that that it has no hope. And I think that that's part of where the, the bombing of that line uh, goes. There's a sort of partitionism that people forget in, in the provisional IRA as well, which is that you kind of, you know, their own partitionism, and they, that would be a controversial thing for them to hear, or because their supporters to, modern day supporters to hear, 
that the sense in which they you you kind of you, you know you it's a, it's a separate place and and there is a uniting there's a uniting going on within the peace train movement and within that train in historical terms and you destroy that because that that means that you're giving northern ireland a kind of level of respectability you're giving it a level of um uh, a, a chance to thrive if that thing continues we mentioned the workers party and again i'm thinking about a wider wider audience. I mean, the Workers' Party emerge. They were originally one and the same party as Sinn Féin. Uh, there was a Republican split between the what became known as the Provisional IRA, uh, and, which, is, which was allied to Sinn Féin, and the official IRA, which was allied to what later became official Sinn Féin, then Sinn Féin, the Workers' Party, and then the Workers' Party. You mentioned, uh, you know, we talked about the great and the good and civic society, for the vast majority of people, and I include the Workers' Party in this, I mean, it, their their opposition to the IRA and Sinn Féin would have gone well beyond opposition to violence. For example, Prontius de Rossa is known as someone who is implacably opposed to the uh, to the idea of a united Ireland, for example. I mean, if you've read, read his latest letters in the Irish Times, I don't know where he was in 1989 to 1995. So... It, 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 it is interesting. I mean, there, there are trenchant critics of Sinn Féin and the IRA, but all many people seem to be coming from a clear point of view, which certainly, perhaps whilst in a sense they were uniting different people in Ireland, probably not a united Ireland point of view, or is that unfair? Yeah, I, I don't think that's true, Kieran. I would think he would say that what what De Rosso would say is that he's actually pro. They were pro United Ireland. The, the Workers' Party have always insisted that they're a Republican party who were pro United Ireland. The difference was the tactics and the sort of timing of that, in a way, which was that you don't achieve a United Ireland by bombing and killing uh, the Protestant working class, which actually pushes away uh, that that prospect. Um, so so there's that. But what what they what they say is that you you do. You, you, they would still say we, in the long term, we absolutely support the unification of Ireland, and that we do it in through that they are fellow Republicans, they are uh, people who believe in a united Ireland. It's just how you do it, and it's just how, when when that occurs. And I think even now, De Rossa, you were asking where he was, and and De Rossa was in the European Parliament, but also in and eventually in the Irish government in those years, and and as a minister. Uh, uh, later and as a TD before that was quite quite someone who would be having a lot of talks with northern parties and and was involved in uh, a, a, a number of uh, campaigns in the in the 1990s and what Durasa still says is that um, it's it's coming from a similar perspective in a way with those recent interventions you mentioned uh, in those letters which is that um, he says at the end he said at the end of the sem- witness seminar we did that when he was involved in the civil rights campaign in the 60s, that he had no idea, you know, you think you're doing the right thing. You think you're making things better. And what actually happened was he, it, what that leads to in a way is is some of the destabilization that occurs. And that's not the intention. It's the reverse. That's the reverse of the intention. But what he was saying was some of the unity it could lead to not just a destabilization of Northern Ireland, but a destabilization of the island. And nobody is saying this. So, you know, rather than willy-nilly calling for border polls and the United Ireland, 
practically think about how that is achieved and work it through before you do anything like this is what he's saying and it's kind of interesting to see how little that is actually looked at as analysis. Um, another big personality involved in the peace chain was Sam McCoughtry. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Sam, big, big, Sam McCoughtry. And yes, indeed. Fascinating. Glad you mentioned him, Kieran. You know, and I think that you do get within the peace train uh, a fascinating set of big, quite big personalities, really. Um, uh, I'll uh, very briefly just to mention a few of the other people on the committee. Um, again, the, 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 there is the Workers' Party's Seamus Lynch, but there is also um, uh, Paddy Devlin, a uh, long-standing uh, uh, was the SDLP founder member, a sort of socialist politician, big Belfast character, lots of stories about Paddy uh, floating around. And then you've got Sam McGautry there as well. And very interesting where you catch Sam in these years that he's a kind of, um, you remember Sam, Sam McGautry come from Tigers Bay originally, Protestant working class area. Um, and uh, you know, experience during during the war, uh, experience working, uh, uh, sort of working life, and then writes a lot of books and memoirs in the, um, especially in the in the seventies, the Sinking of Kimban Head, uh, the the Belfast Stories kind of series, um, and as a lovely little memoir, Black Staff published called In a Free, in a Free State, uh, and that's the other thing about Sam McGottry at this time, he he's he's a senator in the in the Irish Senate and he uh, he he uh, goes down there and again that's part of the if you like the cross border emphasis that you have a, a Belfast man from Tigers Bay go down to the Irish the second house second chamber of the Irish government and and sort of articulate northern protestantism and and these things in in the Shannad. um so so he's you know and he's kind of you know he's a big he's, he's a colorful figure and strong personalities abound in that committee you also have the reverend chris hudson who some who, who uh, you'll probably be aware of as well of the um uh, non-subscribing Presbyterian Church, who was an intermediary between the Irish government and loyalist paramilitaries in the in the nineties as well. You had Michael Nugent, who currently runs Atheist Ireland, uh, which was a recently awarded speaking rights at the UN. Um, these are all kind of quite strong personalities, and you can kind of see them. It's, it's it, the minutes are good to read because you kind of see their their kind of back and forth and and some of the things they're planning, as well as the normal humdrum things. It clearly did have the impact of annoying Republicans at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because I think that they were hard to discredit because of some of the personalities we've been talking about. They were an Irish, pro-Irish group, right? So they were kind of difficult to dismiss as being tools of the British government and and people who were... Uh, 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 there, there, was a, there was a fair degree of... Aside from saying, trying to allege that, aside from trying to call it a, a sticky front, um, that they also tried to say that um, this was a kind of uh, that there was a, there was a whataboutery involved, a thing of why are you protesting against this violence, but you don't protest against the violence that's meted out to to Republicans uh, in whatever place that is, and and that was that was that that immediately fell a bit flat. I think I, I when I go back through. 
uh, through the, the records of uh, the newspapers, whatever, which charts this, you get a strong sense that the, the, the supporters of Sinn Féin and the IRA are quite miffed by and quite um, aghast, really, at trying to have to deal with the peace train because they, they did have those big personalities, but they also had picked up on something pretty crucial in terms of that force that unites, actually unites the island, the island and features Irish political parties as well as Northern Irish political parties. That was a very, that was a, was a popular thing here on, you know, it was a kind of, you know, you, you, it was an enjoyable thing, the peace train. It wasn't people talking in the Doyle or in Stormont, you know, it was, it was a social uh, movement in a way. And it, it featured people who were capable of getting a lot of traction. Those personalities I've just been discussing in the media, you know, McGaughtry had that column, Paddy Devlin had a column and these guys are kind of popular Belfast figures, right? So, you know, you go against them, you're going against their popularity, you're going against their charisma. And that was quite hard to contend with. And there's a letter I think Danny Morrison wrote, uh, uh, you know, Danny Morrison dismissed the peace train as stunt politics. And he, you know, he was, he was, he was responding to some of the other peace groups that, are, that emerged in the 90s. And he had this very, like, you know, these guys, the, the, these peace groups, again, the what aboutery of why aren't they protesting against some of the violence against us? And you could see that they were rattled. You could see that that did uh, jar them quite a bit. I mean, what, what other types of uh, peace groups were there in the period and what links did they have to the, to the peace train? So, so uh, what, what there was the, the there were various initiatives like the Opsal Commission um, and the Peace ninety two was the other the other group the major group of note. But there were a number of there were a number of uh, uh, other sort of kind of uh, new dialogue, new consensus was another campaigning group at the time. And it's very clear that I, I think your 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 question about the impact of the peace train is a key one, which is how do you measure the impact of something? It's the kind of lives not taken. Right. It's the it's hard to measure the impact of peace groups because you can't measure like I have the Lost Lives book on my right here, which is measures 3,500 plus deaths during the Troubles. The deaths are the ones that we know about that you, you can't measure the lives saved because they're 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 they're, they're not quantifiable. But then we know that the lives are saved. And there is no question that the peace train is part of the raft of those groups that comes along in the 90s, which apply pressure to the paramilitaries to disengage from violence and move towards political, solely constitutional electoral politics. Now, we know, you probably know, Kieran, as well, that Sinn Féin and the IRA is involved in that process anyway, that they're looking for reasons to uh, to, to, to go towards that, possibly as, as soon as early as the late 1970s. Um, and that the home strikes give them a, an in into into politics and, and knowing that they can succeed at the ballot box. But by the 90s, it's this thing of moving away from that almost completely. And the, the peace train are one of those groups which applies the pressure to, uh, to um, because uh, you do, we, we also found when you look at the election results from that time, Sinn Féin isn't really politically prominent, uh, the prov- provisional Sinn Féin as it was then, current day Sinn Féin. They have some councillors in Laos, a few in Dublin, but even then, in the 1992 elections, they get they get a very low. Uh, they go down in, in even in the small numbers of people who are voting for them. So that in itself is illustrative for us of the the ways in which those peace groups, including the peace train, were having a political effect. Connell, is there anything we should have mentioned that we haven't mentioned? 
I think what I would draw attention to was in terms of, again, just going back to this thing of thinking about what the line, the the, the train line between uh, Belfast and Dublin represents. And uh, it's very interesting with the history of that. What When we brought our, our witness seminar together, at the end of March and um, managed, thankfully, to get so many of the protagonists um, who were still with us in the room, um, we thought that there was, a, it's, it's interesting to kind of consider the 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 what that line represents. So um, there's a Louis McNeese poem, Train to Dublin, for instance, where, you know, it, it's kind of McNeese's thing of going to see, um, to see a, a, an Ireland rugby game at the time. Um, there was the contraceptive train in the early 70s when the women, the, the, the Irish women, um, uh, bought contraceptives from the north to the south and sort of proudly showed them to the guards, the, uh, the Irish police at the other end. Um, there's, there's this very interesting, rich history um, which was celebrated last year on the enterprise's 75th anniversary and and i think that that's what made also i wanted to say this you know and edna longley the the critic and wrote this uh, and has said this and she was at the said witness seminar as well and she said you know the sense in which if you're a dubliner who lives in belfast or vice versa that train is a part of your life it's a part of what you 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 know the exchange between north and south but also just being being irish and moving between north and south if you like um whether your family uses the train a lot and it had a what i'm trying to say is that it had an emotiveness for people it had an emotional appeal and um power which not every campaign has it's like you remember that train you remember that journey i should also mention that edna edna's uh, husband michael the uh, uh, well-known and acclaimed poet uh, signed his support um so did seamus heaney um and there's this sort of cultural impact of the peace train as well we also found references to the peace train in the uh, the brilliant belfast novel eureka street by my uh, Robert McLean Wilson, and he kind of lampoons it and satirizes it, but um, it's 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 a, it's a sort of funny, irreverent way of his. But but actually, it's it's in a funny way that kind of reflected the power of it. There's a there's a Paul Durkin poem, uh, the Belfast Dublin train line as well, which is quite a quite a quite a strong um, denunciation uh, of the IRA. And the final thing, aside from those cultural references, I wanted to mention to you was um, the importance of working class uh, trade unionists and uh, uh, people in the in that there were a lot of women who did the trains from North Dublin and remember the exchange rate at the time and still to a degree um, the, the the women got on they tended to be from places like Baldoyle and Ballymun and they would uh, they would they would get on the train and and go and, and they would sort of Chris McGimsey told me the, the description of emerging coming back to Dublin with big toasters over their their heads you know and and it was all adding I think to the um to the kind of uh, the, the the sort of uh, rather um, rather appealing and sort of affectionate um, exchange that was going on and and uh, the trade unionists I should I should wanted to to sort of end with that 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 uh, sometimes people said this you know when they lampoon those peace groups they say it's kind of middle class uh, middle class Belfast South Belfast sort of thing and it's the complete reverse we we discovered you know that the Irish Congress of Trade Unions and all trade unionists are very strongly represented within the peace trade. Uh, and and uh, wanted it and were part of those uh, anti-violence rallies and movements that were going on and that the trade unions did uh, so much uh, in in organizing uh, during that the, during those years dr Connell Parr thank you very much
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.